themselves. I don't know how that's working. Okay, so, uh, yeah, welcome to RUF. Y'all know the deal. At RUF, you're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. At the same time, you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Um, and we're doing a series this semester called Good News for Relationships. So our theme has been that the good news of Jesus enables us to relate to God, others, and ourselves from a place of help. And thus far, we've considered that God is relational and what that means for us. We, we talked about being made by relationship for relationship. Uh, we considered that relationships are hard because of sin, and we've looked at God's provision of friendship. And tonight, uh, the day after Valentine's Day, which I put in the group chat, uh, we're considering loneliness. I did not draw that up, but it just kind of happened to fall on that. Um, and we're going to do that by looking at Psalm 88, uh, which if you haven't read Psalm 88 before, I'm excited for you to get to read it for the first time, because it, it is definitely different from most of the Bible, uh, definitely different from a lot of uh, the Psalms. Um, so I actually printed out a couple of them because I'm not going to put it on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible or your phone or anything, you're to pass this back. Sure. If anyone wants to just look at it while we're going. Um, and as we look at Psalm 88, we're going to see three things. We're going to see the reality of loneliness, the root of loneliness, and the remedy for loneliness. So the reality of loneliness, the root of loneliness, and the remedy for loneliness. So I'm going to go ahead and read Psalm 88 for us, starting in verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, and the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Did the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, even just in reading this passage, uh, it just hits. It's, uh, it's heavy. And... Um, I know many of us in this room have known times where we felt a lot of these things. And I know all of us in this room know people who are feeling that, uh, maybe even right now. So, Lord, I, I pray that you would instruct us tonight um, by your word. Lord, that you would help us to know how to relate to our own loneliness and how to relate to uh, the people around us who are lonely. Um, Lord, it's such an overwhelming thing. So I pray that by your spirit you would help us to see um, what it is that we're supposed to do with our loneliness. So Lord, will you be with me? Help me to speak clearly and, um, yeah, to offer comfort. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at the reality, the root, and the remedy for loneliness. So we're going to start off with the reality of loneliness. 
So even as I was just reading through this psalm, uh, it's brutally honest. It's very, very dark. Uh, the last words of it, you know, my companions are darkness. There's not an upswing. You know, it just kind of keeps getting progressively worse. But the author in this psalm, a guy named Haman, says many things that testify to the reality of loneliness and what it feels like to be lonely. It says in verse 3, my soul is full of troubles. Full there, the, the word means like he has had too much of it, like he's eaten too much. It's like he's sick from how much trouble he feels internally. And then in verse 4, he says, I'm a man who has no strength. And then in verse 5, like one who is set loose among the dead. And then he starts talking about his relationships. He's been shunned by all of his friends. And in the verse 8, it says that he is a horror to all his friends. He has this sense that when people see him, they just don't want to see him. There's something repulsive about him. It says in verse 9 that my eyes grow dim with sorrow. Verse 15, he says, afflicted and close to death, I am helpless. And then finally, in verse 18, my companions have become darkness. Uh, in the original language, that last uh, line, it's just two words. It just says, friends, darkness. It's just stark. It's what it is. It's like my only friend is darkness. And this song, it's an extreme example of the despair that can come about with loneliness. Uh, I'm sure many of us have felt some of these things. Uh, some of us might have felt like the weight of this. We might have felt this bad before. But this is an extreme example of what can happen when we feel lonely. It's a reality that we all deal with, whether we're dealing with it you know, in its extreme form or we're just dealing with it in more situational forms. Um, but I found some studies on loneliness. It was a 2023 study from Cigna. It says three out of five adults report feeling lonely sometimes or always, as opposed to two out of five who say that's not the case. 73% uh, of people aged 18 to 22 report feeling lonely sometimes or always. I came across this uh, story about uh, Japan, which is, if you don't know anything about Japan, it's one of the most economically and technologically developed countries in the world. Uh, but they have this new phenomenon that's been developing. Uh, these people that they refer to as hikikomori, which basically in English just means a shut-in. There is an increasing number of people, last I checked it was 1.5 million, predominantly young people, who are refusing to leave their apartments. They're just staying and living their entire life in their apartments because of relational disappointment, because of job disappointment, because of the pandemic, things they just do not want to leave. It's an increasingly large portion of their society, and almost half of those people are under the age of 35. And then, of course, like anecdotally, I mean, I'm a person who's on a college campus all the time. I sit down, I meet with many of you. Loneliness is a common thing. I often hear from people, I feel lonely, or whether that's not, that might not be something that you're articulating, but the reality of it is, it, it feels like there's this sense of distance from people, distance from God. Loneliness is an epidemic. It's something that we all deal with. So that's the reality of loneliness, but what is the root? Like, why do we feel lonely? What is the root of it? And I'm sure that you've seen several, you know, people making claims about it. I mean, people will talk about, well, the reason that we're so lonely is because of social media. I don't know if you know this or not, but there is a direct correlation between higher uses of social media and higher experiences of loneliness, which is kind of shocking. Some people will say it's uh, the mental health crisis, which I'm sure contributes to it. Uh, others will say the after effects of the pandemic. Uh, and certainly all of these are contributing factors. But I think one of the great values of this psalm is that it helps us get to the root issue of our loneliness. 
Look, look to verse 6. It says, you have put me in the depths of the pit. Who's the you that's being referred to there? It's God. He says in verse 7 of God, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. And then verse 8, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. And then in verse 14, again, talking to God, he says, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? And then in the next verse, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. And in verse 16, your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. And then, of course, in verse 18, talking to God, he says, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. So who does this writer, what does he attribute his loneliness to? Who does he lay this at the feet of? Where is his loneliness felt? Where is it most poignant? For him, and, and I think for us as well, the root of our loneliness is not social media. It's not, you know, our capitalism or whatever you want to say. It's not busyness. It's not COVID. It's not anything else. The root of our loneliness is our alienation from God and from others. There's this sense of since we're alienated from God, there's almost this entire kind of uh, idea of exile that kind of goes through everything that we do. We constantly feel like we're not at home. We feel like we're not at home with God. We feel like we're not at home with other people. We experience pain in relationships, and we just kind of know deep down it's like we're not made for this. This is not how it's supposed to be. And so the tendency sometimes can be to isolate, right, to pull back from relationships. And this makes sense given everything that we've considered thus far this semester. I mean, remember, we, we talked about being made by relationship for relationship. We're made for perfect relationship. Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God in the cool of the day. They had perfect relationship with each other. They had perfect relationship with God. They had perfect relationship with creation. And yet, what we experience is nowhere close to that. We experience hiding. We experience shame. I was talking to a friend earlier this week um, who's going through something pretty big. And uh, he was talking about one of his best friends there who, who he really enjoys, a best friend who lives where he does. And he had just shared, like kind of unburdened himself about this really hard thing that he and his wife are going through. And the friend just completely equivocated it to something trivial. Like he just kind of lessened it. He made it seem like it wasn't that big of a deal. And my friend was just sharing, it's like, I get it, but I just feel so missed. I feel so missed. I was trying to share something real and it's just like he kind of swept it under the rug. We know what that feels like. Like even from well-intending people, we know what it's like to, to want more, to feel lonely even around people that we love. We're living in a world that we weren't created for. So it makes sense that we would feel lonely. So the root of loneliness is this sense of alienation from God, alienation from others. What's the remedy? What's the remedy for loneliness? Is there any hope? I mean, as you're reading through the psalm, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of hope. It ends in darkness. But I think there are two, uh, two subtle things about this passage of Scripture that I think can be really helpful. And when I point them out, I think they're going to be obvious to, to you. Uh, the first is that this psalm is a prayer. It's a prayer. It's a conversation with God. It's not like a private diary entry addressed to no one. How does that help us? Why does it matter that this is a prayer? Uh, if you've seen uh, the Harry Potter movies, it's in the book too, but I've seen the movie more. Uh, in the last one, uh, you know, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, they're fugitives. They're running away. 
Uh, they're caught in this little town. They, they think they're about to get caught, and then someone just kind of ushers them into their house, tells them they could hide there. Uh, we find out that it's Aberforth, who is Dumbledore's brother. Uh, so they're assuming this guy's going to be all for them. He's going to want to help them, all that stuff. Uh, but what they find is that Aberforth is really bitter and cynical. Uh, in fact, he doesn't really believe in what Harry is trying to do. In fact, he tells Harry, like, Voldemort has already won. Like, you should give up. You should just go and enjoy your life. In fact, like my brother, his brother Dumbledore, he's like, he's lied to you. You shouldn't believe anything that he says to you. But the curious thing about Aberforth is that even though he says all of those things, he ends up helping them. He tries to help them. He, he continues to push them on the way. And then Hermione says this really great thing about him. He says that She says, that doesn't seem like someone who's given up. That doesn't seem like someone who's given up. Despite his loud objections, his actions betray a different heart. And that's exactly what we see in this psalm. Though we see an intense struggle and even accusations towards God, they come to us in the form of prayer. That doesn't sound like someone who's given up. It's a conversation with God. And, and the fact that this psalm even exists, that God in his wisdom decided to put this in the canon of Scripture for us to be reading some thousands of years later, it shows us that there is a remedy for loneliness, that God is in the business of overcoming our alienation from him. God is the sort of God who is not offended by our loud objections. He's the kind of God who wants to be with us in our loneliness. So much so that he puts this stuff like this psalm in the Bible for us to have a script to be able to talk to him when we're feeling this way. So the first encouragement, this psalm is a prayer. But, but the second one, this isn't just a private prayer. This prayer, it is actually like a communal worship psalm. So I want you to imagine like heading to, you know, going to church on Sunday, you know, the band is, is playing a song and then, you know, you just walk in and they're singing, you know, oh, Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. I don't know what melody that would be to, but that would be very different from the sort of songs that we sing, right? This was actually a song to be sung in worship. The first people to interact with this psalm, they would have heard it at their version of church. They would have sung it together as a community. How's that for a worship song? Like, can you imagine what that would do to a community when this sort of thing is like in their hymn book? It, it would mean that we're aware of the fact that loneliness is real. We're aware of the fact that faithful people can often feel like this. And we have a script for relating to people like that. It, it normalizes this sort of experience of alienation. So as a remedy for our loneliness, this psalm shows us that God draws near to the lonely and that he brings a whole community with him. He brings the church together for us in our loneliness. And this is good news. It's good news that finds its fullest expression in Jesus himself. See, in the gospel, we see that Jesus kept going down until he could get to the root of our, of our loneliness. On the cross, Jesus actually quoted another psalm, and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's happening there? On the cross, Jesus experienced utter loneliness. Not just loneliness in the sense of, you know, his friends went away. It, it was like cosmic loneliness. God himself turned away. And Jesus could say with integrity what's said at the end of this psalm, My companions have become darkness. Jesus knew exactly what that felt like. He experienced this loneliness of suffering for sin so that we could be reconciled to God and to one another. 
And that is good news in the midst of our own loneliness. And how does that good news enable us to respond to other people when they're bringing their loneliness to us? Uh, there's a very weird movie that I saw several years ago. Um, the more I think about it, the more that the premise of it is a little bit weird and problematic. But it's a movie called Lars and the Real Girl. I feel like Oliver might have seen it. I don't know. Have you seen it? It's a Ryan Gosling movie. Yeah, so now people are interested. Um, so it's a Ryan Gosling movie. The premise of it is Ryan Gosling uh, is a kid who has a lot of childhood trauma that is just not dealt with. Uh, and then eventually, at some point in the movie, he uh, finds this like life-size doll, names her Bianca, and starts pretending that she is his girlfriend. Um, and it's not like he's you know pretending and like he knows that it's not happening. Like he's full-on delusional. He believes that this life-size doll is an actual woman named Bianca. And so his brother and, and sister like go to the doctor with him. And the doctor says, like, listen, it seems like he has some trauma he's working through, so you just kind of need to, like, be patient with him and play along. And so they play along. In fact, the entire city, like, plays along with this. Like, they invite him and Bianca into their lives. Everyone is playing along. They're, they're, they're dignifying this relationship, everything. And what happens is that Laura starts connecting with all of these people in the town through this process. And eventually, uh, Bianca, Lars decides it's time for Bianca to die. Uh, he just says that she's sick and that she's she's dying. And there's this great, great scene where uh, all of these older women from the church come over to his house while he's sitting at Bianca's bedside, again, a doll, while he's sitting there mourning her death. They come and they bring him a casserole, and then they just sit down at the edge of the room knitting. And he's, like, eating the food, and he's like, am I, like, why are you all here? Am I supposed to be doing something right now? And they said, oh, well, this is what we do when tragedy strikes. We come together, we make casserole, and we sit. And then eventually through this entire process, through this entire process of coming around this guy who is acting completely crazy, he is integrated into community and love. Y'all, that is what the gospel does for us in our loneliness. Like, the gospel enables us to bring our, like, Psalm 88 craziness into community and to be loved into wholeness. And it enables you to actually have space for people who are in the depths of despair with loneliness. It, it, it enables you to operate from a place of relational fullness, such that when a person comes to you with high needs, you can actually, in Jesus' name, try to meet some of those needs and love that person into wholeness. See, the gospel shows us that we, we have a full tank relationally because we are loved and cared for by Jesus. And the more that we rest in that, the more that we are able to actually be honest about our own loneliness and to care for others the way that Jesus has cared for us. Amen.